Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. If you want to understand just how screwed up the city of Milwaukee in general is, but particularly how screwed up the Fire and Police Commission is. Now, these are the same people, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on, who violated the due process rights of Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales in their rush to try to kick a guy who I think was probably the best police chief the city of Milwaukee has had in two or three decades out, out the door because he, I don't know, offended some of their senses of whatever political correctness. But if you want to understand how screwed up this is, there's a story in the Journal Sentinel today that talks about it. One of the members of the Fire and Police Commission, the former chairperson, um, he's under investigation by the Ethics Committee. And he maintains he's done nothing wrong, but there, there's questions about, you know, the guy's a lawyer, and the question is, did, did he use his position on the Fire and Police Commission to try to get a benefit for a client? And, you know, the, the details don't really matter about this. And, again, he maintains he's done nothing wrong. But there's an ethics investigation that's going on. Well, here's the deal. The Ethics Commission... Now, this is a sitting member of the Fire and Police Commission. The Ethics Commission wants to serve a subpoena. They want to get various records as they are investigating whether or not they think there's an ethics violation. Now, let me give you some just background from a, from a recovering lawyer here. Typically what happens is when, when a board or when an entity or when an other side issues a subpoena, and you're issuing a subpoena for records or whatever, and the person is represented, what you do is you call their lawyer. Somebody will call me and say, hey, Jeff, I know you represent, you know, XYZ client. I have a subpoena. Will you accept service? Can I just drop off the subpoena? Can I send it over to you? And, and I would say 98% of the time, the lawyer will say, sure, I'll accept service because, you know, the, the fact that you don't want to make people jump through the hoops of trying to track down your client and serve a subpoena. You don't want to embarrass your client by having some process server come up to them while they're at dinner with their family. And, and at the end of the day, that subpoena is, is by and large, it's a formality. Okay, you, you, You've got an attorney. So that's why you typically call up the attorney and say, will you accept service? Okay, Or... Sometimes you just contact the person directly. Say, oh, I've got a subpoena for you. Um, we'd like to send it over and drop it off. It, it's not a big deal. It is a formality. And typically, you know, if you've got somebody that, that's ducking a subpoena, there, there, there's, I guess there, there's reasons for it. I mean, maybe, maybe you're a deadbeat dad and, you know, you, you don't want to get the subpoena because you don't want to have to answer for why you're behind in child support or, or whatever. But as a general rule, with litigation, just accepting service of subpoena, of subpoena either directly or through your attorney, it's it's a commonplace sort of thing. Not certainly not something that you would think would be an issue for somebody who is continuing to serve 
on the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission. Yet here's the story in the Journal Sentinel. The headline, Ethics Committee Unable to Serve Subpoena on Former Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission Chairman, Attorney Says. The former chairman of the city's powerful Police Oversight Commission appears to be avoiding efforts to serve him with a subpoena in an ongoing ethics investigation into his conduct. Multiple attempts have been made to serve a subpoena for financial records on Stephen DeVogas. His attorney has also failed to respond to efforts to reach him, according to the assistant city attorney. The guy is a member of the Fire and Police Commission, of which he was the chairman when the Milwaukee Police Association filed an ethics complaint against him a year ago. City Ethics Board took the rare step in July of launching the investigation and on Tuesday selected an investigator assisting its work. It's kind of disappointing that he's making it this difficult to serve a subpoena and he's being this uncooperative, says the Ethics Board chairperson. Well, yeah. I mean, okay, so here you've got a guy who is sitting currently on the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission. He's no longer the chairperson. He's the subject of an ethics investigation. But he's the chair. He was the former chairperson. He's still a commission member. And they're trying to serve a subpoena on him. And he's apparently jumping through hoops to try to avoid being served. Now, I guess he has the right to do it. And yes, they're going to have to track him down and have to give him a subpoena. But this just shows how screwed up and dysfunctional the city is that you apparently have a a guy, one of seven members of the Fire and Police Commission, who, if you believe this story, is apparently in the process of ducking, trying to duck a subpoena, seeking records so the Ethics Commission can do its investigation. Uh, The mayor said Wednesday that he didn't think DeVoga should remain on the Fire and Police Commission. I think he should no longer be on the board, and I think he certainly should be complying with the subpoena. It's not acceptable at all to evade the due process, to which, and I don't say this often about Mayor Tom Barrett, but he's absolutely 100% right. In what sort of alternative reality do you have a Milwaukee public official who is ducking a subpoena instead of simply complying and cooperating with the subpoena being issued by an investigating agency. Now, if you think the investigating agency doesn't have the authority to issue the subpoena or you think it's overbroad, well, that's what you have a lawyer for. You go into court and you challenge the thing. You don't just say, here, try to catch me and see if you can find me. It's just no way to run a railroad, but it is the way we operate, apparently, in the city of Milwaukee. When we come back... The cancel culture claims another victim. I will explain. We will discuss. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Let me be real clear here. I think this woman is a victim of the cancel culture. I think it is unfair, and I don't know where it stops. And that's one of the issues. I'm talking about a woman named Gina Carano. You, you, you perhaps have never heard of her. Um, she, she really came to fame uh, around 2007, 2008. She was a mixed martial artist, you know, the, the, the mixed martial arts thing. And then she became an actress. For the last couple years, she's had a supporting role on the, the Star Wars show that airs on the Disney Channel, um, The Mandalorian. If you haven't seen The Mandalorian, it's it set like five years after the end of the the third Star Wars movie, Return of the Jedi. And I I don't have the Disney Channel. I've seen it once or twice. I'm not a big Star Wars geek. No offense to those of you who are. But so I I really, it's not something that I've paid a lot of attention to, but I know it's very popular. Well, she plays a a supporting character on there. She plays, um, so she's 
her role is really kind of like a, a an aide to one of the good guys. She kind of plays a bounty hunter. She's been in about half the episodes, and the character that she plays is incredibly popular, and apparently she was under consideration to get her own spin-off sort of Star Wars theory. That is all over. She's not in line to get a Star Wars series. Matter of fact, she has been fired by the company that makes this. She won't be in season three of The Mandalorian. She's been fired over abhorrent and unacceptable social media posts. All right, so her career has been canceled. She's been fired because of things she said. Now, I I was looking at the different posts that are out there. She is, she's a Trump supporter. She has posted over the last year or two, she has posted various things supportive of President Trump. She has criticized the Black Lives Matter movement. And when she got blowback for criticizing the Black Lives Matter movement, she responded in August by blasting cowards and bullies who criticized her for her lack of public support for Black Lives Matter. All right. And she's also, um, when it comes to transgender issues, she has, you know, issued some posts, and I'm looking at some of them, um, that... She says, look, this isn't intended to be a a knock on the transgender movement, but I think that we're going too far when we do away with the pronouns like his and her and things like that. And she's gotten blowback from that, but but she hasn't backed down. Well, recently, um, here's the deal. She went on Instagram last week. And she made a reference to the Holocaust. Now, as I, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I don't care whether it comes from the left or, or the right. I, I think when people try to liken things to the Holocaust, they're, they're, this is like the, they're, they're always going to be wrong because there's nothing, there's nothing like the Holocaust. And it's when people say, oh, this guy's behaving like Hitler or whatever, and this is like Nazi Germany. And again, you, you have this rhetoric that comes from the left and the right. And I always say you got to be really careful with that because as a general rule, there, there's nothing like Nazi Germany and there's nothing like Hitler. And you got to be really, really careful with those references. But anyhow, she, she takes to Instagram. And she puts up a picture of a Jewish woman being beaten and in Nazi Germany. And this is what she says. Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't even realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? Now, she's, she's talking in this, this reference, I think, about, again, the, the cancel culture. And I think she's talking about all the, the hatred and vitriol she's getting because she's a conservative and Republican, and she was one of the 74 million people who voted for Donald Trump. Who knows how many of them would have voted for him you know, today if the election were held today. But, but regardless, you know, she's likening the abuse that she's taking to, again, um, Jews being beaten in Nazi Germany because, you know, the the community thought it was okay to turn on them. And she's saying that's what we're happening now. We we have people that are turning on us and attacking us, uh, metaphorically, I assume, you know, based on, on what we're saying. Now, again, this is one of those deals where making references that, that reference the Holocaust and trying to equate, in my opinion, the way 
Jews were treated in Nazi Germany to the way you know she as a conservative is being treated on social media be- because she's a conservative. It, it's it's a very very poor metaphor. It, it it just it doesn't it doesn't fit. It is inappropriate. Not no no question about it. But because of that post and a couple others, Lucasfilm, which is the one that put together the Star Wars thing, they say that she's done. We're, we're, we've done with her. We have decided that she's not going to be currently employed. There's no plans for her to be here in the future. Her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I don't watch this show, don't know the woman from Adam, but, but she's been canceled. Because, again, she had the audacity to put some of these posts up there. Now, I, I agree that this post is, is inappropriate, all right? But, but she's lost her job because of this. Are we going too far with this? And, and where, where do we draw the line? Now, again, I, I think the, the reference, anytime I see somebody equate something going on today with Nazi Germany or the Holocaust, I, I think it's completely inappropriate. And, but, but at the same time, is that going to cost people their jobs nowadays? And, and where do we draw this line? If you are somebody who has decided to, in public or maybe even private, come out and voice your support or your concern for the legitimacy of the election. If you're a regular listener, you know that I think it was a legitimate election. I don't share these things. But but if you go out and you publicly question that, does that mean that you should lose your job? If you come out and you say, I, I, I oppose the impeachment of President Trump, former President Trump, is is that something that should you should lose your job over if you make one of these and she's not she is she's an actress if you make one of these positions saying hey i think the way that so and so is being treated is the equivalent of the, the way we treated jews during the holocaust which again is a reference that i would always encourage people not to make because it always breaks down but is that the type of thing that should cost you your job and that's where I have a problem with the cancel culture. This idea that, you know, we're going to look at, at what people say, not advocating violence, not just expressing their opinion. And, and maybe their opinion might be wrong. Maybe their opinion might be ill-considered. Maybe their opinion may be offensive to some people here or there. But is that the type of thing that just by voicing it, you deserve to be canceled? And where do we stop if that's the situation? Okay, we discuss in just a moment, 855-616-1620. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, Look, maybe you've never heard of Gina Carano. I, I've, I've watched a handful of episodes of The Mandalorian, but, but she's been fired because she's gone on social media and she's cast questions uh, about she's, she's not a supporter of Black Lives Matter. Oh, okay, well, that, that, that's fine. She's been attacked for that. Does she not have the right to express that particular opinion? And in response to all the attacks that she's getting for her political beliefs, she goes on and she says, hey, look, look, look at Nazi Germany. You had Jews that were beaten not by the Nazis, but by, by regular Germans who came to think it was okay to attack people because they, they were different. And, and she tries to equate that to what's going on now. Now, I think it's, it's a very, very poor analogy. And, and it breaks down. And that's like I say, I always encourage people, knock off the Holocaust references, knock off the, the Nazi references. But but 
She's now been fired because of this. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, the cancel culture is the new McCarthyism. This is the new Hollywood blacklist. Jeff, those who said blacklisting in the 50s was wrong are creating their own blacklist. Isn't this rather hypocritical? Are they trying to get even? I don't think they're trying to get even. I I just think this is where we are in our society, and it's this idea of the, the cancel culture. How dare you express any sort of opinion that is counter to what the prevailing mood of political correctness is, and we're going to make that sort of decision. And we're and I, I, what I really wonder sometimes when you have these stories is that all these people who claim that they're offended and appalled, are they really offended and appalled, or do they just feel that they should be offended and appalled, or do they feel that, hey, okay, we can use this. This is going to be the outrage of today, and we're going to use this as an ability to try to cancel somebody's position. And that's exactly what happened here. Do I think she was smart to make some of the references that she did? No. But let's be honest. It's, they're not going after her simply because of the reference they made. They're going after her because they don't like the woman's attitude when it comes to certain issues of the day, and they've decided that she shouldn't be able to work. Lucasfilm can do it, but... Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final thought before we move off of the cancel culture. As I was telling you, you've got this this woman who was in line to get her own TV show, and now she's not going to get the own TV show. She's been fired from The Mandalorian because Lucasfilm doesn't like some of her posts, and, and she's a conservative, and she, I, I think it's a bad metaphor, you know, tries to analogize what's happening to her to, you know, what, what happened to Jewish people during Nazi Germany. All right, bad analogy, but, but that got her fired. Now, here's the interesting story. Uh, another one of the actors in the same show, The Mandalorian, name is Pedro Pascal. He was also in, in Wonder Woman. All right, well, a couple months ago, he does the same thing, goes on Instagram, and what he does is he likens all of you who supported Donald Trump He likens you to Nazis, and he likens you to the Confederates, the the people who tried to secede from the Union. Put up um, a meme that reads, losers in eight, this is what it reads, it's been deleted subsequent, but I have a copy of it in front of me. He put this up, and it says, losers in 1865, and it's got a picture of the Confederate flag. Losers in 1945, and it's got a German swastika. And then it says, losers in 2020, and it's got a picture of the Make America Great hat. Okay? So, I mean, he's likening those of you who supported President Trump in 2020. He's likening you to, again, Nazis in 1945, and he's likening you to the the rebel army in 1865. All right, so... My only point of all this is, if you're going to fire this woman for using these references and stuff and trying to equate the situation that she has to, you know, what what went on, you know, in the Holocaust with the German people against the Jews, bad analogy. All right, but but that's that gets you fired. But this gets you nothing. Saying to all all the Trump supporters, I, I think you're you're Nazis essentially. That that doesn't. And it, it's the see this is the double standard which needs to be concerning to people about the cancel culture because where does it stop? 
You know, we, we are told a number of the texters were making references to the, the blacklist, appropriately so. You know, a very, very dark time in America history. American history. We, I think, are on the verge of, if not already in the middle, of, of our own version of a blacklist, except this time, instead of going after uh, people who were accused of or suspected of, of being communists, now it's, hey, we're going to direct this at conservatives, and we're going to look at the phraseology that some people use. And again, I, I some... You take the social media, you take the Twitter, you say these things, you got to understand that there's going to be consequences for it. But there's no consequences in many cases for outrageous stuff. Again, linking, linking all the 70-plus million people who voted for Donald Trump. You, you guys are nothing but Nazis. That, that's, that's okay, fine. That fits the narrative. But, you know, you do something different, you end up losing your job. It's a dangerous, dangerous time. All right, let us switch gears. We have talked a lot about the impeachment process. President Trump has been impeached. It's day three of the trial in front of the U.S. Senate. The House impeachment managers will conclude their case against President Trump, former President Trump today. The defense will start tomorrow. Tomorrow, probably, I think most people anticipate the trial is going to be done by Saturday. The Senate will vote sometime early next week. I will tell you what is going to happen, and it's no surprise. He will be acquitted. There will be a handful of Republicans. My guess is I've set the over-under at about eight who will be in favor of the conviction, but you're not going to get to 67, and then you know the country is going to move on. The Wall Street Journal has a really interesting piece that, that I, I agree with. And, and here's, here's the base. I'm going to read you just a portion of it, but here's, here's the bottom line. Whether you believe that President Trump should have been impeached, whether you believe it's appropriate to impeach a a president who's left office, whether you believe that it's just an exercise in futility, given the fact that we understand what the politics are nowadays, and we understand how this is going to turn out. There's just simply not enough votes to convict in the U.S. Senate. The, The The premise of the article, here's how it starts. The Trump impeachment evidence. Now, this is the Wall Street Journal editorial board, not a a liberal source. He might be acquitted, but he won't live down his disgraceful conduct. Whether a former president ought to be subject of an impeachment trial is a matter of constitutional debate. Whether it's prudent, if acquittal appears likely, is a related question. But wherever you come down on those issues, the House impeachment managers this week are laying out a visceral case that the Capitol riot of January 6th was a disgrace for which President Trump bears responsibility. It continues, long before November, Mr. Trump was saying that the only way he could lose the election was if it were rigged. On the night of the vote, he tweeted, they are trying to steal the election. In his speech that night, he called it a fraud on the American public and said, frankly, we did win. Is it a surprise that some of his fans took his word to heart? Instead of bowing to dozens of court defeats, Mr. Trump escalated. He falsely claimed that Vice President Mike Pence, if only he had the courage, could reject electoral votes and stop Democrats from hijacking democracy. He called his supporters to attend a rally on January 6th when Congress would do the counting. Be there, be wild, Mr. Trump tweeted. His speech that day was time to coincide with the action in the Capitol, and then he directed the crowd down Pennsylvania Avenue. Talk about playing with fire. 
Mr. Trump told an apocalyptic fable in which American democracy might end on January 6th, and some people who believed him acted like it. Once the riot began, Mr. Trump took hours to say anything, a delay his defenders have not satisfactorily explained. Even then, he equivocated. Um, Imagine... Uh, Representative Joe Negussi said, if Mr. Trump had simply gone onto TV, just logged onto Twitter and said, stop the attack, if he had done so with even half as much force as he said, stop the steal. All right. And then it goes on and it concludes with this line. Now his legacy will be forever stained by this violence and by his betrayal of his supporters and refusing to tell them the truth. Whatever the result of the impeachment trial, Republicans should remember the betrayal if Mr. Trump decides to run again in 2024. Bottom line, Wall Street Journal, he might be acquitted, but he won't live down his disgraceful conduct. I think they're right. 855-616-1620. And I'm, I'm one of the guys who thinks this impeachment proceedings, I, I think it's a waste of spirit. I think he should have been censored and people should have moved on. I think he's going to end up being acquitted. That's the politics of it. But I, I think there's no question that it's he's not going to be able to live down this conduct. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Original cream puffs from the Wisconsin State Fair for Valentine's Day. You bet. For the first time ever, you can order cocoa or strawberry cream puffs for a Valentine's Day weekend puff pop-up. Enjoy a feel-good Wisconsin tradition that we all miss. And since sharing is caring, whose day can you make with a box of cocoa or strawberry cream puffs? This is the last puff pop-up until uh, this year's fair, so clear out your freezer and stock up. That's right, Original Cream Puffs freeze. Hurry and place your order before they're gone at OriginalCreamPuffs.com. And sometime before the end of the program, give you a chance to get a free six-pack courtesy of Original Cream Puffs. All right, let's start with Bill and Oconomowoc. Bill, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great topic. Um, I believe that... Uh, Trump, not, I don't believe, I know Trump took an oath not to do what he did. I know the co-conspirators, his supporters, the guys who are going to vote on this, they took the same oath. They nulled that oath. They destroyed the oath, and it, they did destroy the Constitution. And if he is acquitted, we invite a lot more of the same kind of terrorists to come into our country and overtake our, gun, our country. He was the bin Laden of the biggest in domestic terrorist attack on our country. He was the guy. Now, to acquit him is horrible. I tend to agree with you to one point. Something is better than nothing. And that's something to, to just say he's got this stain. But the sugar coating, trying to generalize it and say Nancy Pelosi did the same thing, that's BS. We know what he did. We all know what he did. And they stated their case perfectly. So to you think anything less than that is insanity. We believe well, what, in the Constitution. What do you accomplish? What do you, what do you explain to me? What do you accomplish? Now, see, I, I agree. That's what I said. That he, I don't think 
see, I, I think Donald Trump is done as a political figure in this country. And, and some people might disagree with him, regardless of how the impeachment turns out. Will, will he dabble in politics? Will he go after some Republicans who he don't think supported him? That, that's fine. But candidly, he's not going to run in 2024, regardless of what happens. And if he does, that would be a blessing to the left, Bill, because there, there's no way Donald Trump gets elected president. There's no way a lot of people who voted for him two months ago would vote for him again after what's happened over the last eight weeks so i guess my my question to you is do you think do you think trump is viable moving forward regardless of what happens with impeachment i i think he could be and here's why when you have and i can name them all ron johnson jim jordan i can go on and on and on they're still carrying this flag they're still trying to defend the the leader of the domestic domestic terror act and they're defending this man we have so many good Republicans. I was a former Republican. It used to be the party of the moral majority. You might remember hearing that. And we have to return the Republican Party to the moral majority. Uh, ever since Newt Gingrich, if you ever read any of his manifesto, he pushed for this way back when. He said, we are no longer friends. We're going to war. He wrote that in black and white. Too many people started swallowing this. And thanks to your show, at least we're exposing people for what they are. So, again, I appreciate you giving me the airtime, and you have a wonderful day. Well, you as well, Bill. See, and that's, I mean, I, I guess that, that this is, is part of the issue, and, I, and we're going to actually talk about this later on in the program, about where the Republican Party goes in, in the aftermath of President Trump. Now, I have a, um, I, I, you know, here's one of the texts. Um, Jeff, um, uh, there I, I don't understand how people cannot see what he's caused. It's just pure division. I believe that we're better than this. If we had four more years of this, who knows where the who, who knows where this would have ended up? Jeff, I agree with you that impeachment is a waste of time, but Trump never understood the concept that perception is reality. Jeff, in the eyes of millions of Americans, he will go down as the greatest president in history. The election was stolen, and we will not forget it. I guess. I guess I, I, with all the stuff that's happened, the, the idea that the, the election was stolen and that all the stuff that's happened since November 6th, see, I just I don't think most people can ignore that because I, I look at this and I understand. I infuriate people on both sides when, when I say that I, I think this, this impeachment is an effort, is an exercise in futility. He, he's gone. He's gone. He's not coming back. And if if, poli- if people believe that President Trump committed a crime, okay, well, that, that's fine. Then, then, then charge him. I, if people throw if this is sedition. All, okay, well, fine. If they believe he committed sedition, if they believe that you can prove that, charge him criminally and, and let, let's have the trial and decide. But I don't think too many responsible prosecutors believe that you can make a case of that. Now, having said that, that's not defending all the stuff, for example, that the Wall Street Journal editorial board talks about. You know, all the things refusing to accept the legitimacy of the election and a lot of the rhetoric. And and to me, the most perhaps the most unforgivable thing about this this all was on when the riots were occurring, when the whatever word you want to use, when the insurrection was occurring, instead of immediately coming out and saying stand down, you know, he, he sat around for hours. And I mean, I remember I was on the radio, you know, talking about this a month ago, and one of the things I kept saying was, you know, where where is President Trump to the extent that. 
President Trump is watching this go on, and you know he is. He, he should be out there uh, five minutes into this saying, look, I, I don't know if anybody interpreted this. I, I did not intend my remarks to mean go storm the Capitol and, and start taking prisoners. And if anybody thinks that, that's not what I intended. Stop. Get the hell out of the building. That That's what I, I think we should have seen. And I think in many respects, that might the fact that he didn't, the fact that he kind of sat on his hands for hours, might be the most damning piece of evidence against him in the whole impeachment proceedings, to be candid. But again, I, I think regardless of what happens, it's tough for me to see how he lives this down. Dwayne in Janesville. Dwayne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I guess I what I what I want to discuss is the senators and how they're determining their votes. They're supposed to be impartial jurors. They've been sworn to be impartial jurors, and they need to vote based on the evidence submitted. It doesn't matter whether it's constitutional or not. That's already been determined by previous votes. They should be voting on impeachment based on the evidence provided. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess, but of course, it, 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 this is this, this isn't a court of law, and they're not jurors in the sense that jurors are sworn in. I mean, before before this whole thing started, I was looking in the New York Times, and there were already, I, I, I want to say about 70 senators who are already on record, one way or the other, saying they're going to vote to impeach, or to, to convict, or they're going to vote to acquit. So it, it's... I, I, I think it, it, yeah, it's all fine to talk about that, and they should wait to see the evidence. But the reality is two-thirds of them, my guess is every one of them had made up their mind before these proceedings started, one way or the other. Well, I know the one didn't. He, he was going to be a partial juror, and he changed his mind based on the evidence. Well, he hasn't. So no, you're talking the about the one for. Republican who who let the proceeding go on. Well, okay, I mean, thanks to the call. I mean, okay, you've got, you got one. But, the, 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 but again... He, he let the proceeding go on. You, you don't know how the person's going to vote. Like I say, I, I, here's the over-under. The over-under for me is eight votes, and, and maybe maybe eight Republican votes. And, and maybe you'll get one or two more. Maybe you'll get one or two less. But, I mean, I think what people need to understand about these impeachment proceedings is it isn't like a court of, of law where you you have the the trial with all the rules of evidence and things like that. It's a political proceeding, and the politics of this, you know, play into account. And, again, that's why I've been the guy for months, and I said this about the last impeachment proceeding, saying I, I think the way to have gone would have been a censure vote to go on record, and I think you would have gotten a lot more bipartisan support than what's going to happen now with a second acquittal. And here's here's just the truth, and I understand this frustrates some people, but the truth of the matter is, let's let's say, let's say you get 58 votes to convict, and you get 42 to acquit, so he's acquitted. The, the, the bottom line is there's going to be no consequences for senators one way or the other. That, that's just the reality of this, because by the time the election rolls around two years from now or four years from now, there, there, there's nobody's going to be voting based on, gee, back in 2021, did you vote to con- impeach, convict President Trump, former President Trump or, or not? It, it's it's not going to play out. It's not going to be a voting issue in 2022. It's not going to be a voting issue in 2024. So there's really no consequences for this. But regardless, I go back to where I started. Regardless of whether you believe he should be convicted or not, the bottom line is I, I think 
I, I think he remains. I think he remains disgraced. And whether he's formally barred from running for office again, he's not going to. That's just the reality. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So very glad to have you with us. All right, one more national political topic, a spinoff of the ongoing impeachment thing before we move on to some other issues. Now, as I've been arguing... Regardless of where you come down on on the impeachment process, this it's going to be over in the next couple of days. That, that that's just the the reality. The Senate, my guess is, will stop hearing arguments by Saturday. There'll be a vote scheduled for sometime early to mid next week, unless there is some dramatic change that I don't see happening. President, former President Trump, will be acquitted, and then everybody will go on with with their lives. That that's just kind of the reality of this. And people who are going to be outraged about the fact that he's going to be acquitted are going to continue to be outraged. And people who think that he's gotten a raw deal will continue to think that he's gotten a raw deal. All right, that's. But we are going to move on, and, and President Trump is going to be in Mar-a-Lago, and the question is going to become, you know, what sort of role does he play, if any, you know, moving forward? Does does he try to run in 2024, which I think is just, it's, I think it's just not going to happen at all. Does he try to be a power broker in the Republican Party? Does he try to go after some congressmen or senators who he felt betrayed him over this process? I mean, all, all that's... All that will play out in time. But to me, the larger question from a national political view is what happens to the Republican Party moving forward? Now, if you read a lot of the mainstream media, there's a lot of people that are just kind of like rubbing their hands together saying, this is it. The Republican Party is absolutely done. It's been irreparably split Trump has destroyed the Republican Party. There might be spinoffs because it's still going to be the party of Trump, and Trump's going to be controlling people, but there's going to be a lot of people who want nothing to do with the Republican Party because of Trump. For example, here's a story in today's New York Times. There's nothing left why thousands of Republicans are leaving the party. In the days after the January 6th attack on the Capitol, the phone lines and websites of local election officials across the country were jumping. Tens of thousands of Republicans were calling or logging in to switch their party affiliations. In California, more than 33,000 registered Republicans left the party during the three weeks after the Washington riot. In Pennsylvania, more than 12,000 voters left the GOP in the past month. More than 10,000 Republicans changed their registration in Arizona. An analysis of January voting records by the New York Times found that nearly 140,000 Republicans had quit the party in 25 states that had readily available data. Now, of course, in Wisconsin... You don't have to register by, by party, so you, you don't know party affiliation. But the, the tone of this story is not unlike the tone of a lot of other stories that are out there, that, that Donald Trump has effectively killed the Republican Party, and the Republican Party as a viable political entity moving forward is just absolutely doomed. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My response to this is... Hooey. 
I, I think in some respects, look, I understand this might make interesting news copy, and I understand that this might, again, a, a appeal to you know people on the left who, who want to see the Republican Party disappear, but I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it at all. I, I cannot tell you, again, as I constantly argue, politics is a pendulum. It swings back and forth. My guess is... If you were to go back to 1974, the exact same stories were being written following Watergate and following the resignation of Richard Nixon. And then, then what happens? You know, five years later, you have you have Ronald Reagan, who who is elected, and you have this resurgence of, of the Republican Party. That's what you have. You see, you know, in 1992, when Bill Clinton is elected, beating the first President Bush. All right, it's I, I remember this. Oh, this is it. It's going to be this whole new era. The Republican Party is over. And two years later, you have the contract with America and the Republican Revolution in 1994. I remember seeing stories exactly like this in 2008, after second President Bush, his, his term expires, a lot of controversy, of course. Course. He was unpopular at the end because of overseas wars. Barack Obama takes over. This is the new dawn of America. This it, it this is it. The Republican Party is history. And then what happens is what you know. Two years later, uh, in, in a response to what I think some people would describe an overreach by by the Democrats, you you have the Republicans that take over the House of Representatives. And and I could give you examples of where this is has gone on the other side as well. But politics is a pendulum. Now I understand. And right now, you've got a Republican Party that is is torn between, all right, the Trump loyalists and the people who, even if they might have voted for Donald Trump, aren't aren't that we've drank all the Kool-Aid for Donald Trump. But this idea that the Republican Party is in tatters, that it has disappeared as a political force, I, I, I don't I don't buy it. And two years from now or four years from now. You know, how these elections turn are going to be, at least in my opinion, based on on how the Biden administration does and what is the country looking like and and what what stuff has been done. But this idea that, oh, it's all over. I just don't accept that. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What is the future of the Republican Party? Is it is it history? Has Donald Trump killed it? Has he done irreparable damage to the party or will this too pass? We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, it's 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 one of those things where I think the demise of the Republican Party that's being predicted and, and gleefully looked at, I think that is overstated and i'm just telling you i've seen this i've been around long enough to see this on on multiple occasions and and i understand that you have a split in the republican party right now between the hardcore supporters of president trump and the people who want to move on and and i I don't know exactly how that dynamic is going to play out over the next couple years but I, I mean, you, you're, you're going to see the same thing, I think, on, on the left, where you've got the, the more moderate Democrats who are wrestling with the people on the far left who want to take the party to the far left. And, and I think that's going to be as much an indicator moving forward as to how successful the Republican Party is. It, it's where where do the Democrats go? Do they go too far to the left? And does that bring those middle-of-the-road voters back. 855-616-1620, Ron in Janesville. Ron, you're first. Good afternoon. 
Hi, Jeff. Uh, Hi, Ron. You know, every time that that uh, this subject comes up or something similar to it, I I, I guess they have to laugh. I, I agree with you. Uh, the first thing that makes me laugh is when a, a caller calls in and they're so upset with Donald Trump that they this is the last straw. They don't want him, and they were a Republican, but now they've changed to Democrat. I don't believe it for a minute. I think I say I think they're Democrat in sheep's clothing. They call in. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people I know who are Republicans are staying with Republicans. Do we agree that Donald Trump did everything right? No, we don't. But we agree he worked harder than any president there's been. I think he did a better job than George Bush one or two. Uh, and I think he did a better job than Barack Obama. But I say it, it seems that the, de- the Democrats have been so mad at this result since 2016, they don't want to let, let up and they want to argue all the time. Well, I think this reflects the poll numbers every time there's an election, you know, when they say, well, Democrats are way ahead. Well, most of us Republicans are out there using our comments that we don't want to argue about this stuff. We don't want to be polled. We don't want to be told, you know, this is what's going on. But for some reason, a lot of people, it seems, in my opinion, mostly Democrats, just want to argue and fight and, you know, and, and call everything bad. Well, yeah, a lot is bad on both sides. I mean, you know, there are candidates in the, in the past who have driven off a bridge with a, a lady in the car. I still stayed in office. You know, uh, they forget all those things. So, there's been bad things happen on both sides. And, and I say, when this subject comes up, it, it makes me laugh. People call, I was a Republican. And oh, and Jeff, now I've, I've changed. Baloney. They were a Democrat when they called to your program, in my opinion. So. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, here, look, I guess here, here's the deal. I mean, I, I think that there's obviously some dissatisfaction. I, I don't know how anybody could look at what happened on January 6th, for example, and, and be proud of, of that result. And I, I understand that there might be some short-term, you know, backlash about, oh, you know, I, I, I you know, regardless of, regardless of, of how you think President Trump handled it and whether you think he incited the riot or whatever, I, I understand that there is this controversy that's there. But the reality is, two years from now, Trump is going to be gone. Four years from now, Trump is going to be gone. I understand some people don't necessarily think that's the case, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet all the money in my wallet right now versus all the money in yours that he's not running as a candidate in, in 2024. You know, will, will he perhaps try to remain viable in politics? I, I mean, I don't know. But at the end of the day, you know, you have two political parties in this country, and they serve as counterbalances against each other. And if you have Democrats, for example, who engage in, in overreach, well, there, there's going to be a response to that. And the response to is going to be just like has happened before. They're going to lose. The, they're going to lose Congress in, in 2022. That, that's what's going to happen. Now, if there isn't that overreach and it's morning in America again, maybe there'll be a different dynamic. But this idea that, oh, the, these parties are, are crippled. What you're looking at right now is I think you're, you're looking at a, a momentary blip on on a screen and do i think that the republicans have a lot of soul searching to do to figure out okay what what is this party going to be and how do you move past president trump while continuing to keep the people who were the trump supporters invested and yet still continue to reach out to the people who might have been um you know might have been inclined to vote republican but were put off by president trump's personality or whatever but but this idea that we're all one of the two political parties in this country is, is dead and gone. Sorry, I, I just I that that's wishful thinking. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. What do you think? I agree with you 100. Um, percent You cited all those examples from 1974, uh, then Reagan won, and then you know 1992, and then two years later, Newt Gingrich. Um, those are all um, valid. 
Um, I think the basic principles of the Republican Party are strong, and I think people gravitate towards those. And I think Biden and Harris are too far left, and they are Biden's already overreaching, and that they will, you know, probably pay a price for that in two years. Well, that, I mean, th- thanks to call, Mike. I mean, the, the, the classic example of that is Barack Obama gets elected in 2008, and I, I, I was reading the same sort of stories. Okay, th- this, is the, this is the hope and change thing, and the Republicans are, are history, and they're saddled with the legacy of George Bush and foreign wars, et cetera, et cetera. And then, to your point, Mike, you, you get what I would describe as, as the, the overreach. You get the Affordable Care Act that's passed on a, on a, a strict party-line vote, and you have backlash to that. And then 2010 comes along, and 2012 comes along, and 2014 comes along, and, and what you have is, you, you know, you have the Republicans that have come back and taken control, and then Donald Trump gets elected president in 2016. Politics, uh, again, are secular. And so I, I think, again, I think people have to figure this out. Now, I agree with you. There's going to be a, uh, it'll be really curious to see what happens with the Biden administration because there's an incredible push um, between a lot of the people that are in Congress now and a lot of their allies in the mainstream media, there's this incredible push towards like a big government thing, spend, 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 let's do all this stuff, let's roll back all these controls, let's just, all right, let's roll back the stuff that was there, Let, let's put government more in control, and maybe that'll work. But, but maybe it won't. And I, I think that's the problem and that's the struggle that President Biden has, which is trying to figure out how to rein all this type of stuff in. Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, I basically agree with what, what you said. Um, I'm old enough to remember back in 1972 when uh, George McGovern ran and took exactly one state, everybody predicted the demise of the Democratic Party, and, of course, that didn't happen <laughs> at all. Right. But, Good example. But uh, Yeah, but uh, I, I have to comment on your first caller who talked about Donald Trump being the hardest-working president. From what I've read, he was very little interested in policy, and I remember a story that Paul Ryan told. Paul Ryan is the ultimate policy wonk, very smart. He was in Trump's office explaining the uh, Republicans' health care law, which, which didn't pass. And Trump got so bored after listening for 10 minutes, he walked out of the room. So I, I don't think Donald Trump uh, can claim as the hardest working president. Yeah, th- thanks for calling. I get it. I, I don't know the mechanics of it. Right? I, I don't. Right? Some people were more interested in the the nuts and bolts of 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 government policy than others. But I'm actually glad you brought up the McGovern point. That's right. I mean, Richard Nixon, 1972, running for re-election. Just uh, George McGovern. You said one state. I, he might have won a couple more. I could be wrong on that. I'd have to look. But yes, it it was a landslide. And this is at the height of the Vietnam War. And this is Richard Nixon, who was not popular. You, you roll back, though, I mean, go back to 64. Barry Goldwater, who was a conservative champion, got got just got trounced himself when Lyndon Johnson was running for uh, election after taking over after President Kennedy had been killed. That, that's a landslide. People were saying that's it for the Republican Party. Uh, they're, they're, this conservative movement is dead. Barry Goldwater's too conservative, et cetera, et cetera. And then four years later, you know, Richard Nixon beats Hubert Humphrey. It, it, again, it, it's cyclical. And clearly, 
I, I think what's going to happen moving forward, for people who think the Republican Party is so fractured, it, it's over. I think you, you, you missed the boat, especially when you look at all the state houses that are controlled by Republicans. Republicans are going to have to figure out what they stand for moving forward, and they're going to have to come up with, figure out what that message is. But so are the Democrats. I mean, so are the Democrats. And like I say, for, for everybody who thinks, oh, this is over, et cetera, et cetera, trust me, you know, that, that's not how history plays out. A number of my texters are saying, well, this shows the, the reason, this is why we need a third party. Well, uh, I, you know, here, here's the bottom line. If you, had, if you had six parties, people would still be out there saying, well, there's no candidates that speak to me. And, and maybe someday there, there will be a viable third party. It hasn't happened in my lifetime, and I don't see it happening, but I, again, could be wrong. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right, you know, we were talking in the last conversation about how politics is cyclical and how what typically happens is a party gets in and everybody thinks, oh, this is it. This, this is The Republicans are going to be in power forever or the Democrats are going to be in power forever. And, and what happens is the pendulum swings back in two years or four years or six years or eight years. But at some point in time, the party falls out of favor and, and you have things reversing. One of the things that's going to play out is does does President Biden, does he overreach? And for all the conversations, like we were saying in the last segment, for all the conversations about the issues in the Republican Party and the split created by President Trump, Biden doesn't have a bed of roses either because he's got some activists on the left who have been out of power for a while and are saying, look, Look, President Biden, you need to be on the right side of history, and the right side of history is big government, and it's more spending, and it's throwing all this money at problems, and we we need to reverse what's been going on for the last you know twenty twenty plus years. And then you have more moderate Democrats who are saying, well, okay, some of these ideas might play really well in downtown Manhattan, and they might play really well in San Francisco, and maybe they do really well in Los Angeles, but in in that real world that's out there, the districts a lot lot of us represent it doesn't resonate and so the problem is going to be how how do you balance that that push to move left and left and left and if you go too far to the left again you, you pretty much guarantee electoral debacles two years from now four years from now wherever i don't know that there's a, a more direct example of this than what is going on right now with the student loan debate right now in this country People have about 1.7 trillion, T as in trillion, dollars in student loan that they have taken out over the years. Some people are in default over that. Some people aren't. But there's no question when you owe a bunch of money, it, the money that you have to pay to for your student loans, and that that's money that stops you from buying a house or buying a car or going out to nice dinners or, or whatever. I mean, you, you have to pay back the loans. Now, what's also happened is there's a lot of people out there who took out loans and paid them back or managed to go to school by uh, working their way through school or something else, those deals, and, and they're not dependent on the loans. Well, here's the deal. Joe Biden has said that what, and he said on the campaign trail and he maintains it, what he would like to do is, is forgiveness. $10,000 worth of student loan. Just just kind of forgive it. And the question is, can you do it with a, with your, your, a sweep of your pen, or do you need legislation? That $10,000 is not enough 
for a lot of Democrats. Looking at a story just from a couple hours ago, um, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the, the AOC, you know, she's very, very militant, saying the Biden administration needs to be pushed. They have said they're comfortable with $10,000 in loan forgiveness. We need to get at least $50,000 minimum, and there is support for $50,000. In other words, they want Congress to pass a law saying, okay, if you owe, if you owe up to $50,000, we're just going to forgive it. Um, and, you know, you can walk away. That would forgive the debt. If you had $50,000 that you just wiped it away, it just disappeared, it would forgive all the debt for about 80% of federal student loan borrowers or about 36 million people. So that that would be great. It would be great to have, you know, your, your debt canceled. Hey, it, isn't that great? I, I bought a house. I've got this mortgage payment that I've got to make. I owe $120,000 on the house. Wouldn't it be delightful great if all of a sudden $50,000 of that went away? Yeah, that, that would be super. You'd be closer to paying off your house. But there is this incredible push out there to say $10,000 in student loan forgiveness isn't enough. We need to do more. We need to have fifty grand. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand the argument. Hey, if you have you make debt magically disappear, it gives you more money to spend on things. But from a perspective of, of fundamental fairness and, and equity, you know, if somebody has taken out student loan debts to go get an Ivy League education and is in line to make a boatload of money. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you've got that MBA out of Harvard, for example, or you've got student loans, and, and yes, you're, you're going to be a doctor, and yeah, you've got a boatload of student loans, but you know, in the next five, ten years, you're going to start making a ton of money. Is there any reason why the taxpayer should bail you out? And where do we end up drawing that line? I mean, for all of you who sacrificed to go to school yourself or to put your kids through school? I mean, do we make you a chump if all of a sudden we say, all right, well, forget it, you know, your next-door neighbor who took out big loans to put his kids through school and went on vacations and things like that, and you didn't go on those vacations and you, you drove, you know, a car into the ground, you didn't buy that new car because you wanted to send your kids to college. How does it treat you if we suddenly say, 50 grand, boom, it's gone. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's a battle going on in the Democratic Party right now. You've got the more aggressive, progressive side, the AOCs of the world, who are saying $50,000, student loan write-off. That's what we've got to have. Joe Biden campaign saying, hey, loan forgiveness, ten grand. It's a big, big difference. So do we go full boat? Do we say $50,000 student loan debt? magically should it disappear now of course it disappears by having the rest of us pay for it jeff in milton jeff you're on wtmj good afternoon afternoon jeff a couple points i'll make if you look closer at the statistics it shows that the majority of those people whose student loan debt would be forgiven are are already earning they're on the high end of the earning scale and so it, it doesn't really benefit the person who's trying to pay his mortgage and struggling to make his car payment no that's not who would benefit from this. High earners would benefit from it. 
And the second yeah, I'll, I'll, is, I'll, I'll, I'll let you I make mean, your point, but let me just jump, jump on that. There, there's a University of yeah. Chicago study that came out in December, and it said that the top 10% of households by income would receive seven times as much benefit from this $50,000 write-off as the bottom 10%. So, I mean, you raise this great point. Doctors and lawyers with six-figure salaries um, don't need the $50,000 write-off. It, yeah. it's, this is an incredibly regressive thing because, yeah, it, it benefits the people that have those degrees that yeah, yeah maybe right now, the, the fact that they're making these student loan payments stops them from being able to buy a car or buy a bigger house, but they've got huge earning potential thanks to what they use that money for. Correct, correct. And then, and then my second point real quickly is that my wife and I are both degreed professionals. We had student loans. We paid our loans off. But when we had kids, and my kids are now 16 and 15, we started saving for them when they were one-year-old. $50 a month into a college savings plan. And now we have a we have a good portion of their college paid for if they choose to utilize that. What's what's the I guess, I guess what's yeah. the incentive for someone else to to do the right thing to save for their kids education when you know oh well forget about it. You'll be forgiven anyways. Your $50,000 will be forgiven anyways. I mean what's going to happen nope. in the money I've saved down the road? Well, right Right, a great, great point. Or, or are, are you just a, a chump? And, and look, the same thing. I, I, I never had, I never had children of, of my own. Although I've got stepkids now. And but what we did is my, my niece and nephew made a decision years and years ago. We, I was aggressive. I've aggressively saved, and I think you know, and, and helped. My, my niece is going to graduate from college, you know, in a couple months, and you know, maybe go on to a business school or law school or, or whatever. And, and I think you know, be, we've we've helped that out because of money that that we've saved. Well, okay, that was money that we could have spent on other things, but it was like, no, I, I don't want my in this case my niece and nephew. I don't have, I don't want them together with my brother. We don't have to worry about you know having. To, can they afford to go to school or do whatever they want? But, but yeah, I mean, candidly, there's a lot of other things that I could have done with all that money over the years. But, no, we, we tried to be the responsible. We tried to be responsible. Jeff, I worked at a private university for many years and saw tuition skyrocket more than inflation. If it were possible, I would require the colleges where the debt-ridden students attended and charge such high tuitions to be responsible for 50% of the outstanding loans of their graduates. Well, that's a very good point, because one of the reasons we're in a student loan mess is the fact that college tuitions just went through the roof over and over again. And what happened is you had kids who knew that they could come and they could get the student loans and, and took out the student loans because they wanted to go to school. And the schools kept raising their rates and raising their rates and raising their rates. And the schools didn't have to care whether or not the kids are going to be able to get, uh, or get jobs when they get out of school because, you know, they had their money. Um, and, and so I think that's an issue. Jeff, so much of my generation was told if you go to college and major into anything, you'll have a great job after college. Those are the people we need to bail out. Yes, everyone is free to make good decisions, but we were young and we did not know. Um, uh, Jeff, my wife owes $60,000 for student loans for getting her master's. She makes six figures now in her early 30s. Why should her student debt be wiped away? This was an investment that she made, and it has paid off. Well, I think there's, there's it. Jeff, the government paying for student loans is unfair to the people who've already paid. 
Um, I have a daughter who's been paying her student loans for 20 years and still isn't close to paying them off. I have a granddaughter who just graduated from Concordia, um, and you know she graduated. She only had $10,000 in student loans because she worked two jobs during the school year and during the summer. My grandson, who is 20, is also doing the same thing. A lot of the problem is people who have large loans have taken them out, and they've used that money to buy things like cars and computers and televisions and things that have nothing to do with their education. Um, well, yeah, I think there's that's it. Um, let's see. Jeff, $50,000 worth of forgiveness injects $50,000 into the economy. Your taxes aren't going to go up. That guy, what about me? People shouldn't have to suffer because you did. That's addressing the person that, that paid their way. That's not how it works. So the idea is if the taxpayers, just because you accumulated all sorts of debts that you're now on the hook to repay, that it, it should be the government that bails you out. And if everybody else worked or, you know, sacrifice to pay for it. Well, you know, at least in this one texture, you're, 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 you're kind of a chump, I guess. You know, you're, you're a chump. You know, here, you know, end up bailing me out. Jeff, my son went into the Army partly for the GI Bill. He's going to a hot spot in the Middle East. Is he a chump? Um, work with people to reduce their interest on the loans. Now, see, I think... That's something that you can get behind, and I think that's something that you could get some bipartisan support for, the idea that interest rates have plunged dramatically. And and now, I mean, heck, now you can get a 30-year mortgage on a house for, what, 3% or, or in that vicinity. If you want to talk about reducing the interest rate on loans to make it afford, more affordable for people to pay back those loans, I, I, think, I think that's a conversation that's fair as opposed to, a difficult conversation, which is, here, we're, we're just going to make these go away. So this is from Chris. Jeff, when do people take responsibility for their choices? Where does it stop? Car loans, credit cards, cable, mobile phones. Um, how is it that other people found ways to go through college? Jeff, so are they going to send $50,000 checks for each of my four kids who we supported through college? Makes me frustrated that we will now be paying for other people's kids. Well, that's it. Jeff, what about all the students who paid off their students? student loans or people who chose not to go to college do they get money also it's just not fair yeah um th- this is it um jeff i have $55,000 in student loans i make 50 grand a year not top dollar but realistically my student loan payments are $650 a month and most of that is interest i will gladly um take $10,000 from biden and i'll gladly take 50,000 from biden um, well, yeah, I understand that. I get it. That makes sense to me. Um, I, I, if, if they're going to offer it to you, you take it. But the question is, is it right to offer it to you? Uh, let's talk to Joel and Delavan. Jo- Jed and Delavan. Jed, you're on WTMJ. Yes, sir. Um, I'm calling in because I was telling your screener, um, you know, I fall right in this college tuition era. I'm 34 years old. Um, when I was in high school, the push was you need to be but you need to get good job, you know, to become, I'm here quoting, somebody in your life. Um, And I uh, sat down with my parents, you know, and we kind of looked it over, and I went into the trades. I'm a farmer now. Uh, You know, I work with my hands and realized school just didn't fit my personality, didn't fit fit Mm -hmm. my outlook on life. And a lot of that came down to money, that it just was not a smart financial decision. And the fact right. that they just want to come in and wipe this away, 
to people of my uh, thought process are, you know, you made a decision that was poor, and there's consequences for your decisions. And we took the approach that it didn't fit us, and it ended up right. working out for us. Well, you know, and here's the interesting thing to, to your point. The, this, by, by making $50,000 in debt go away, the, the vast majority of Americans are left out of this. It, it, it's, it's not going to help people who, like you, you know, who, who didn't go to, to college for four years, who decided to go into the trades. It's not going to help people who worked hard to pay off their debt. Just got a text from somebody who said he just took out $56,000 from his 401k to pay for, you know, his, his kid's year in college. It's not going to help any of those people at, at all. This is, it, it's going to help primarily it's going to help the doctors and the lawyers the people who have the ability to repay this and yeah if, if i were you i'd be asking where's where where's mine heck i'm asking where's yeah, mine I, I mean <laughs> i've been saving money i've been saving money for any. decades uh, yeah right yeah I just... right thanks to call i appreciate it. well that's yeah that see that that's that, that's it i mean look i i think there are things you can do and, and i do go back to to me if, if you want to look at a reassessment of interest because I know some of these these student loans that were taken out years ago have outrageous outrageous levels of interest that isn't necessarily reflective of what's going on in the marketplace now. So if we were having this conversation saying, look, we, we're, we're not going to forgive this debt. I mean, it's a legitimate debt. You signed up for it. You have an obligation to pay this back. But if we were willing to say, look, maybe we can do figure out a way to try to renegotiate and refinance this stuff, just like people refinance their houses to get more, get better rates that are much more market based. I, I think that that's that's fair. So that if you're paying six hundred six hundred bucks a month and four hundred of that is is interest, well, okay, maybe you can reverse that. You're paying six hundred bucks a month, but four hundred bucks of it is is principal. If you can do something like that, so that people can pay off their debt more quickly, I, I think that that's reasonable, and I think that that's, that's something that you do where you're, you're working with people. But if you look at these numbers, this 50000 bucks that's being flown or thrown around, and like I say, there's a lot of pressure in Congress to, to do this, the people that are going to benefit from this are, are not... Are, are not, as a general rule, the people that are in that lower or middle income categories because they haven't racked up that much student debt. And the reality is, I, I understand that there are people out there who think that, that this money grows on trees. There's this giant money tree out back, and you go and you shake it, and all these dollars come in. And if we suddenly cancel all these loans and have the taxpayers you know, pick up the tab and we wipe this off, all of a sudden, that means everybody's going to be spending all this money and you're going to get it back in the economy. No, the people that took out the loans are going to get a break. But for the people who are living on fixed incomes, for example, who have to pay for this, you don't get anything. In any event, this is going to be one of these issues. And it's kind of a litmus test. Is Joe Biden going to allow himself to be driven far to the left? And these are these issues. They're wedge issues. Some people are going to be happy, but I think it has devastating economic consequences. And that plays out at the election box two years from now, four years from now. All right, back with lots more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. I, I admit I was kind of distracted when I was listening to the weather forecast and the 
unrelenting cold. I, I do have some good news because that's what I'm all about here, trying to bring you some good news. The um, the next few days, we have been in an unseasonably nasty cold snap. There's no question about it. But let's face it, we the, the first parts of the winter were, were pretty mild. And, yes, cold today, colder tomorrow, colder on Saturday, colder still on Sunday. But it does it does get better. I'm starting. To, I'm looking at the 10-day forecast. Again, these things are always subject to a little bit of change. But Monday high is supposed to be 11, and low at 7. Then Tuesday it goes up to 20. Wednesday this is the highs goes up to 23. Thursday 25, and then Friday and Saturday in that same range. So it looks to me that. Again, we're still in an unseasonably cold thing, but once we get past Sunday, it looks like it's starting to get warmer. And again, we're already we're midway through February, and I'm not I, as somebody who does not like the cold weather. I understand I don't want to come across completely as Susie Mary Sunshine here, but it it's it's getting a little bit better. It's getting a little bit better, and spring is right around the corner. Hey, a follow up on something we discussed on the program yesterday, and I, I just I mentioned it in passing because. As soon as we had finished the conversation, the NBA had apparently come out with a statement. Mark Cuban, who is the billionaire owner of the uh, Dallas Mavericks, he had he had refused to play the national anthem. And he, he wouldn't say why he refused to play the national anthem, but he refused to play the national anthem before Dallas Maverick games. And somebody noticed, and they asked him, they said, yeah, we're, we're not playing this. Well, the NBA has a rule saying that you're supposed to play the national anthem, and once... Cuban said he's not doing it. The NBA reiterated that, yes, you are, and apparently he has now backed down um, on this and said, no, I'm, I said, I'm good with this. If they tell me I have to do it, I, I will, in fact, do it. And as I argued yesterday, I, I think it's the appropriate thing to do. I mean, the national anthem... The reason we play the national anthem, in my opinion, through sporting events, and and if you go back the history of, of the national anthem being played at sporting events, it really... It really took hold after World War II, after World War One, as a tribute to returning veterans, and and that's what I think it's it's all about. And I think from the perspective, whether it's those of us who are fans or billionaire owners of sports franchises or millionaire players for sports franchises, I think it's a tradition that still has its role. So the national anthem will be played if you happen to be able to go see a game in Dallas. One of the other things that's going on right now, I don't think there's been a ruling, I I just checked, is this ongoing debate uh, between, in, in the in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, Kyle Rittenhouse is the young man, everybody knows this now, the third night of the Kenosha riots. He arms himself, goes into Kenosha, and there's all sorts of questions about what his motives were. He says he's part of, like, the citizen militia, and he says in an act of self-defense he ended up shooting and killing two people and, and wounding a third. The prosecution's theory is that he's he's a murderer and and. Right now, he is out on, on bail. He's 18 years old. The bail is like $2 million bucks. The prosecutors are not happy that he is out on bail. That, that's just the reality. They wanted him kept in, in jail, a pending trial. He's done, Rittenhouse has done nothing to endear himself to the, the court system. Right as soon as he gets out of bail, he's the guy that shows up with his mom at a tavern wearing a T-shirt that has an obscene saying on it, um, essentially talking about how he's now, you know, free on, on bail. And he's posing with guys and he's making gangs. He's making, like, white supremacist signs and things like that. Uh, Rittenhouse is, in some respects, 
from the perspective of, I would say, a defense attorney, he's sort of the client from you know where because it's like, okay, Kyle, just just maintain a low profile. In any event, the, the debate that's going on right now is when he was out on bail, when he was released on bail, there was an agreement that he would stay at his family's residence in Antioch, Illinois. Well, as it turns out, he's not at that residence. And the family says we had to move him because we were getting death threats and we had to move him into a, a safe house somewhere where people don't know it well the prosecution says no no that's not good enough you know we he we need to know where he is and we need this information to be public um and which point in time the defense attorneys are saying well no we'll 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 tell you where he is that that's not the issue he's around we'll tell you where he is but if if you make it public what's going to happen is you put the guy's life at risk and so now the prosecutors are seeking to revoke his bail I don't know how this is all going to play out. I'll tell you how it should play out. It should play out that he should be able to live where he wants as long as it's it's in the immediate area. The court has every right to know where that residence is. And so they have every right to say, okay, look, here's the deal. You know, If you're going to be free on bail, we need to know where you are. We need to have this information because we need to be able to check up on you. And you shouldn't be able to just unilaterally decide that you're going to move somewhere and not tell us. Right? As far as the prosecution saying, no, 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 we think this needs to be public, I think that's excessive. And I think that's trying to punish the guy because they don't like the fact that he's out on bail in the first place. This is a situation where I think there is a degree of risk to the kid. And so, to me, the easy way to handle this is to say, all right, you've got to tell the court, you've got to tell the prosecutors under seal where you are. Court officials have every right to know this. But, yeah, we don't necessarily need to broadcast where you are you know, at every moment, given how this trial is playing out. That's how rational people should handle this. How they decide to handle it in Kenosha, I, I don't know. But in this case, everybody's really wrong. Rittenhouse is wrong in moving and refusing to give up the location. The prosecutors are wrong in insisting that the location be made public so any crazy person can know where this is. There's an easy way to resolve this. Hopefully the judge will work that out. And we'll able to be able to get on. This will be an interesting trial once the trial date is ultimately set. Okay, when we come back, I want to talk about one aspect of the vaccine rollout. I have been arguing it should be based on age. There's numbers that suggest that maybe there's another factor as well we'll discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, Journal Sentinel has a story. Nearly 10% of white Wisconsin residents have been vaccinated, but so far only 3% of black residents. This is new data from the Health Service. Also, about 3% of Hispanics have been vaccinated. Okay, in Milwaukee County, less than 8% of the doses administered to county residents have gone to black residents, despite there being 27% of the county's population. So 27% of the county's population is black. Only 8% of the doses of vaccine have gone to people who are black. 5% of the vaccine has gone to the county's Hispanic residents who make up 16% of the population. So the story in the Journal Sentinel goes on to talk about the racial disparities. More than 60% of the doses have gone to white residents, while Milwaukee County is about 50% white. 
The head of the Milwaukee County Office of Emergency Management says the figures are troubling and points out correctly that um, in some of the minority communities, for example, the w- when COVID sets in, the results have been statistically worse, in, in part, I think, because uh, of overall health issues and maybe poorer health. So here's the fundamental question. As we figure out the rollouts, should we factor race into account as well. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or or maybe put another way, do you think that there's a, a racial bias in the way that the vaccines are being distributed? And and, and my answer would be, I, I, I think that that's not why that these numbers are happening. Um, I, I've, I've told this story uh, Two weeks ago, I messed up my foot, slipped and sprained it badly. So I've been like hobbling around and and I haven't, I really haven't left the house. It was only a couple days ago that I was able to even hobble enough to kind of walk the dog out. Uh, Last night, for the first time, I kind of gingerly limped out and and went out to dinner with a couple of, of our friends who I hadn't seen in ages in a socially distanced environment. And they, they were both telling me how they had just, after Really, two weeks of effort, and I'm talking about getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning and trying to log on to websites. They had just, uh, and, and both of my, the three people I was talking to are all, they're not jumping lines. They're, they're all in that age that they would be entitled to, to do this. But they spent, I mean, literally, they were describing hours spent on, on the computers trying to track down multiple sources. Um, gee, I'm going to go to the, the, the county's health thing and see if they've got it. And I'm going to go to my medical provider, and I, I know this pharmacy has it. And they were just describing to me the hours of time that they were putting in to just find the ability to uh, find a place that, that had the, the vaccine. And so my sense is that there are just some people out there that are are working harder than other people at trying to find the different locations where you might be able to get the, the vaccines. So our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know I, I want everybody to get vaccinated. And I know there's some of you who aren't going to do it. I think the way out of this pandemic is to get people vaccinated. I, I think that if it were up to me, I, I would be rolling it out on the base of, basis of age, and I've made that argument as opposed to saying, okay, well, this is an essential, uh, this is an essential profession that's more essential than, than other professions. And I appreciate that there is a need to get this vaccine into the minority community. But at the same time, I, I also think that there's a lot of other people that are out there who they're, they're trying to play by the rules and, and they're trying to get in line as well. And right now, there's just, there's not enough vaccine to go around. There's a lot of demand for it. And my guess is, to the extent these numbers are accurate, and I have no doubt to doubt to doubt that, question it, my, my sense is there's probably people in different communities that are just working harder than other people to try to find that particular spot. Now, in fairness, it, it might be 
people have more resources. I, I, a couple of my friends, yeah, they're willing to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and they're, they're willing to sit there and, and go through multiple different sources looking and trying to do it. But it's, it's hard for me to say, okay, well, you who legitimately qualify, you, you shouldn't get this vaccine. We should be diverting more of the vaccine into this community or, or that community. Bottom line is we just need to get more of the vaccine out, period. Don't we? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Julio in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Uh, hey, Jeff. Thanks uh, for taking my call. Um, I think, well, going through your question and everything, I'm Hispanic. So I don't think yes, it's sir. about racial. I think it's more uh, about the, the belief and the understanding of the vaccine. I mean, usually a vaccine takes a while, a year and a half, two years sometimes to get it you know, all the studies and to make sure it's safe for people to take and so on. So, you know, myself included, due to the fact that it came out so soon, I still do not honestly trust that it's safe. So I'm waiting for more data, to be honest. I got kids, I got a wife, so I'm waiting for more data to feel more comfortable that this is safe for us to take it. So I think that's another aspect of why those numbers are the way they are. No, Julio, I think you're exactly right. I think, and, and look, it's always tough to generalize because not all not all Caucasians are the same, not all blacks are the same, not all Hispanics are the same. But I, I do think right. you're probably onto something. I think in, in certain of some of the minority communities, I, I think there probably is more skepticism towards the, this vaccine, maybe than in, in the broader communities. People are just, we don't know if this is going to work out. We're hesitant to do this, and, and so maybe there's some natural resistance that some folks are just saying we, we just want to wait a little bit we don't want to be necessarily the first people in line correct yeah got it hey thanks for the call i appreciate the perspective you know one of the other things and a couple texters are making this point and actually they, they mentioned the journal sentinel story as well that at least in the initial rollout what was happening is we didn't just do it by age. We you know the, the we prioritized it by healthcare workers. We prioritized it by first responders, by fire and police officers, and again, you'd have to look at the demographics. But maybe those groups tend to be disproportionately white as opposed to black or Hispanic, and so that that could be skewing the numbers a little bit as well. Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. I'm getting my vaccine at five o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> anyway, um, transportation. <laughs> how hard did you ha- how did you, how hard did you have to work for it to, to do that? Was it a struggle to find a place? Yeah, um, fairly hard. Yeah. But once I got in the city side, it was a breeze, and I can't say too much about the city. And that's when the city stepped in and set up its own site. My health care provider, good old Ascension, gave me a date for March 18th. I'm 75, <laughs> and I have a couple of conditions. So I signed up with a couple of pharmacies. Um, but the key to this, and I'm, it's not just racial, it's, it's age, techno- technophobia, lack mm-hmm. of access to good technology, the inability to use it competently if it involves right. a website, transportation, and the willingness to fill out a form on an iPhone. Um, if mm-hmm. that's all you have. And for a lot of people, especially poor people in the, just what the technology they have is a smartphone. They don't have the nice big computer where you can see what you're doing. Most mm-hmm. people rely on a friend who's tech savvy or a grandkid 
to help them do it, and then you gotta you gotta get there. Transportation is a is a big deal, so um, you don't need to jump certain races ahead. You just have to think about those things. And the city has a phone number you can call, and the phone number doesn't make you go to a computer. It right. they will talk to you. Now I didn't have to do that. I'm I'm lucky. I'm, I've got right. good equipment. I've got patience. I've got the ability to use it. And once I got on the city side, it was a breeze, and they gave me an appointment five days later. Well, good enough. Good luck. Thanks to call, Lucy. And, and to your and and to your point, I mean, like like I say, I was on on the use of technology. I mean, I was listening to my my friends just talk about what what they were all the different hoops that they were jumping through and all the different websites. And, and yes, you need to be technologically savvy and you need to be patient. It was like, well, if I didn't get on it at, at I got on it at ten o'clock in the morning and I was putting in the information and my computer froze and then I was frozen out for another week. It I, I don't think it needs to be I, again. I don't think. This this is an ev- evidence of racial bias. I-, I think she's exactly right. It's the technological issues. Let's take a break. When we come back, John McCure and Melissa Barkley will find out what they have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. This is Jeff Wagner.